We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. It's myself, Colin Kelly, as always, joined by Sean Siegel. Sean, we had our recap show for NFL Week 5. It did come out on Monday. We're taking this one to you. If you're listening on the Rotoviz Overtime podcast feed, you will get this on Tuesday. If you're listening on the Rotoviz Radio podcast feed, you'll probably get it on Wednesday. So I, I would urge you to head on over and hit that subscribe button for Rotoviz Overtime. But we are going to discuss some of the talking points that we didn't discuss already, Sean. We have since seen what happened on Monday Night Football since we recorded the recap show, so we'll touch on that as well. A big win for Sean's Chief, so I'm sure there's some positive vibes after that. And this week, Sean, is also the first week of bye week, so even as people look ahead with their waivers, trying to set those lineups up and get into the mindset of approaching bye week, something that we talk about a lot with trying to win the flex when you're in draft season. We have the lions the raiders the titans and the texans all on by on week six as that kicks things off usually sean buys in previous years would have started a little bit earlier so people may have kind of almost forgot that they existed but they have come to town this week but we're ready to finish talking week five start looking ahead to week six i don't know if you want to start with monday night football if you want to start with the games on sunday i'll leave that open to you but you can lead us in the, the direction you want here to kick off the show we did have a Monday night burn burner between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders able to take an early 17 to nothing lead in this game, but didn't really press their advantage well enough, especially when they're delivered a pretty big bailout, right? The, the theme again this week has just been officiating in the NFL. This is another type of call that gets the NFL looking like it is fixed. Now, I don't think there's any reason why the NFL would want the Raiders to win this game. So obviously we're not saying that, but this along with the call at the end of the Falcons-Buccaneers game. Talk to Sean on the recap show about the Falcons game. We were kind of like, you know, this is probably the worst call of the season, one of the worst calls we've seen. It was probably about, you know, 15 hours later, we see a call that like was even a lot worse than that one. A lot worse. And... You know, people are calling for official review of penalties. And since penalties have such a big 
influence on how these games turn out. The leverage is so huge. I think that that would probably be a positive. One of the elements that you find here and something that we've been arguing for on the show is at the very least, we prefer to have fewer phantom penalties, penalties where the offense or the defense, whichever one that it is, I mean, you, you need to be able to see the penalty clearly before you call it. On yesterday's show, we talked a lot about calls that are there to be made that would benefit the offense even, either through not making a phantom call on the offense or calling some of these defensive penalties. One of the things that's tricky, I mean, the, the pass interference is going to always be just such a judgment call, such a fast call. One of the last night was one where the ball is wildly underthrown, not even much contact as Devontae Adams comes back through the defensive back until after the ball has basically already hit the defender and is down. At that point, it doesn't really matter that Devontae Adams is working his way back through the defender. I mean, it's an uncatchable pass that's already hit the defender. And that obviously shouldn't be called defensive pass interference. So it's not like we're arguing specifically one way or the other. We want the calls to be right. If they can make some calls that help scoring without cheating the defense out of place. I mean, this is one where obviously you have a, a strip sack where the ball is gone really early. And so for there to be any nonsense about coming down with your weight on the quarterback, I mean, that's more or less irrelevant at that point, but also a bad call in and of itself. The situation with Tom Brady and the Falcons, I mean, you kind of think with the Falcons, I mean, you guys were running the ball down multiple scores deep in the fourth quarter. No one feels sorry for you, but it's still a horrible, horrible call. So some type of way to make it easier on the officials if they can't get the job done, I think people would be in favor of that. If your team wins, your team loses, your fantasy players benefit or don't benefit, the main thing you want is just for it not to feel arbitrary. When one of your guys scores a touchdown and a flag flashes up on the screen, you at least want that flag to be justified. And so from all of those perspectives, you, you just really hope the NFL can get something done here. Some of these calls, even though everything happens so fast, should be things that are fixable. More fixable than pass interference, more fixable than you know block charge calls in basketball, which again, I mean, even after you look at those on review, a lot of people are going to disagree. It's one of the reasons why the pass interference call, when it was reviewable, was something that didn't really help the game very much. It just slowed things down. Very few calls were overturned. And yet, still, I mean, I think you would also like that play to still be reviewable if you have a huge play with extremely high leverage where it's a clearly wrong call. Then you can overturn that one, even if most of them throughout the entire season are upheld. At this point, it, it's such a disaster with injuries and protecting players protecting quarterbacks especially you need to figure out things you can do within the rules to make it better for the quarterbacks to make it safer for everyone out there and yet the defenders are in such an untenable position at this point you can't hit high you can't get low you can't make any sort of contact with the face mask even if you're making a football play you can't throw the guy to the ground, you can't tackle him with your body, there are really a limited number of tackles left, right? You have to more or less walk up and ask him to sit down himself. And so, I mean, from that perspective, they have created a, a, a debacle because so many of these bad calls are things that the officials feel like they've been boxed into. I'm not one of these football purists who wants to see devastating hits, who wants to see violence, who wants to see 
defensive battles where the scores are six to three, you know, who has much sympathy for defensive players showboating, none of those types of things. But you, you have to be able to do your part of the game and when you are successful to be rewarded for that as opposed to penalized. I think there are a huge number of people who feel the same way. The, the games just can't feel arbitrary. I mean, that play should have put the Raiders then in position to win this game going away. The Chiefs do come back. The biggest point of the night, obviously, from a reality and from a fantasy football perspective, is that the Raiders had a game plan to live at Travis Kelsey. They did that everywhere, except for where it actually matters. They hold him to 25 yards, but four touchdowns. And to have so many broken plays around the goal line. It's not like these were 30-second plays where Travis Kelsey ran sideline to sideline, and finally Patrick Mahomes was able to get him in there. One of the four, I think, was a little bit like that. The other three are broken coverages. This is poor football. It's poor coaching. I mean, the Raiders have a lot of issues and your new superstar blowing up and perhaps torpedoing portion of his season. Now, one of the things that's really been going right for some of our teams is this Devontae Adams element where even though he's not, you know, quite the same as he was with Aaron Rodgers, obviously to have two long touchdowns in this game, to have him scoring a ton, to have him justifying a pick in the first round and then not to be able to, control your temper, which again, I mean, very understandable from a human perspective, but it's another thing that raises sort of red flags about the Raiders, the culture, the coaches, a huge game from Josh Jacobs. He plays extremely well. We know that one of the strategies that teams are going to use is to try to keep the chiefs offense off the field. And yet again, what you see here is they're able to go out, they're able to score 30 points. Mostly what the Raiders have done is to, not give themselves enough opportunities to not score when they needed to, to not bury this chief's team. I I just think that the control the ball away from the elite opponent is a give up type of move where you've essentially, we're not competitive. And I think that for the rest of these teams in the AFC West to really do what they want to do to become even with the chiefs, to knock them off for that AFC West title, you have to play as though you think that your team can actually match up. And so we'll see if the the Chargers are able to do that the second time around with Justin Herbert. We'll see if the Broncos are able to right the ship at all. But to be at this point of the season and have both the Broncos and the Raiders imploding, not what we expected, good for the Chiefs from a reality perspective, but bad for football. A little bit disappointing here. (laughs) I I just would like to see a, a more dynamic game, even than what we saw. We saw lots of great plays. Josh Jacobs, as we said, looked very, very good. One of the key and cool notes from this game is that both teams do go for two. You have the Chiefs where they can go up eight and instead try and go up nine. The idea there, obviously, to try and get up by two scores. The downside of it that you do have to reckon with is that does give the other team the opportunity to go ahead of you if you miss. I mean, so many of the teams are thinking, well, if we don't get this, we don't go up by two scores, we'll be up seven. The other team, when they score, will choose to tie, but they don't have to. They can choose to take the lead. That part of it you love from Josh McDaniels. The play was very, very close. Jacobs tackled more or less at the one-inch line there. Maybe the game changes if you make that play. One of the things by actually going ahead in that instance is that you focus the other team on what they have to do. You could argue that it would actually be better for the Raiders to be tied because the Chiefs will play it more conservatively, a much better chance of getting a punt down the stretch. You get the ball back. 
and you go and you score the winning touchdown. Now they had a chance to score the winning touchdown anyway, which is something, or the winning field goal, which is something that I, I think teams probably don't think about enough as well. You get in this offset score situation that field goal wins. And when you are the Raiders and very clearly in that game, you have the superior field goal kicker. I mean, you feel like you can make one from 55, 60 yards where the chiefs may need to get to, to about a 35 yard field goal to feel comfortable. And this is the situation that we saw with the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday, that these teams who have had kicker injuries and kicker injuries have been another big part of 2022. That just seems ludicrous. It's, it's hurting the product. You have Robbie gold go out in the 49ers game. Man, we know injuries are part of football, but we hate them. Stay healthy, guys. We we want to see you out there playing. Yeah, this this was an interesting game, a unique game. Lots of things that you've touched on there. You know, the, the two-point conversion attempts. Then you mentioned the Devontae Adams situation after the game. We'll see what develops with that. Interesting looking in the box score. We have Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey have 10 combined receptions for six touchdowns. And I know if we add up the yardage totals because Devontae Adams at 124 yards, that's going to look pretty good for two players combined but yeah very interesting that just the consistent the kind of concentration of touchdowns in this game some big plays going their way josh jacobs sean has continued to look fantastic somebody who we well i i certainly wasn't on in the the offseason firmly in the dead zone but has really looked very very good for them in recent weeks and this one running back touches very split jerk mckinnon leading the way with eight carries for 53 he does look like he has a little bit of zip back on those legs it doesn't look like he still has the the dead leg syndrome that we talked about last offseason mvs getting involved six for 90 from the the chief side being the other part to discuss but obviously the chiefs win this game sean and that penalty is going to get talked about a lot on the sack that you mentioned but in these situations i can only imagine the uproar that would have been if it was a case that the the chiefs had lost this one but overall chiefs move on they get there when they are four and one at the time the raiders made the move to get Devonte adams it looked like they were trying to you know have a window open try and challenge in this division we've seen similar obviously with the broncos but the chiefs are now four and one the raiders are one and four have players like Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, you know, a lot of the players in, in this team are approaching 30 or at that age. It feels like the Raiders window at this point potentially may may never open. But moving on to some of the other games, Sean, this week, we had a massive game from Justin Jefferson. Another big day from him. And anytime we can get big days from Justin Jefferson is a, a very positive thing. What were some of your other well, I guess you can start with your Justin Jefferson takeaways. But what were some of your other takeaways from the the Vikings and the Bears? The Vikings come out twenty nine to twenty two winners. They look to be leading quite comfortably throughout this game. Bears make a little bit of a comeback at the end. The other note, I guess, on Jefferson is he did get tackled inside the the five yard line on two occasions, which could have meant that he had an even bigger day than his one hundred and fifty four yards. And uh, Dalvin Cook kind of nudged those both in for touchdowns. So one of those days where it was a big day, but it could have been an astronomical day. I mean, nobody gets tackled at the one-yard line. There's two players. There's two players. There's Justin Jefferson and there's DeAndre Swift. But jo- Justin Jefferson last year had a few of these big ones that he – the knee is like right at the one-yard line. Listeners are probably aware of the fact or thinking, well, I mean, you guys are going to notice when your guys get tackled there. Brees Hall tackled twice at the one-yard line this week as well. That's the way that it works. You make some of these long plays. And if the defenders continue to try, then you're going to have 
some tackles at the one yard line. The Saints got a situation where Seattle Seahawks defenders not making too much of an effort to actually tackle Taysom Hill. Maybe we could get that when Justin Jefferson is out there running around. He looked very, very good. 10 for, I think, 139 in the first half. So we did get some adjustments from the Bears at halftime. A lot of times you're going to see these games really move from one point to the other, maybe at the half, and think, okay, well, one team was a lot better with the halftime adjustments than the other. Some of the things that factor in here are simply the order that teams are able to really get possessions because the Vikings start this game with the ball and immediately embark on a 12-play touchdown drive, get a field goal, immediately embark on an 11-play touchdown drive, force a punt, nine-play touchdown drive, you're up suddenly 21 to three. It seems like you're cruising. Everything is going to go to plan such that maybe you're resting the starters by midway through the third quarter, but the bears are able to get out there and score before the half. Greg Joseph, who struggled a little bit in this game, misses a field goal right before halftime to keep it at 21 to 10. And we have the bears then get the ball to start the second half. As a result of that, they end up being more or less in control of the second half because they execute. Now you you have to execute or it's not going to make any difference but because they go down and score to start the second half. Suddenly you have back-to-back touchdowns. You close the score up to 21 to 16. Joseph misses another field goal. The bears are able to go down. This was sort of the frustrating one, 11 play drive. They get down there. You'd like to see them be able to execute this play. Justin Fields incomplete to Mooney there. We saw another just extraordinary catch from Mooney in this game. The rapport apparently starting to build. Field goal to make it 21-16. I mean, 21-19. Another field goal then to make it 21-22. And after the 21-3 start from the Vikings, suddenly the resurgent Chicago Bears are in the lead. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on which direction you're looking at this from, the Vikings then do rally behind Kirk Cousins, who played well in this game, believe completed his first 17 passes. Again, a tale of two halves here. A 17-play drive, score a touchdown, also execute the two-point conversion. That is a Justin Jefferson play there. They go at 29-22. The Bears again rallying, appearing to go down, but as they cross midfield, the ball is wrestled away from Smith-Marset. Too bad, I think, because we're starting to see the Bears do some things and Justin Fields do some things. He also had a 50-yard touchdown run that was called back due to penalty. When he has the ball in his hands, he looks absolutely electric at this point. If you're in a situation where you were able to stash him, I think he's going to be a, a viable fantasy weapon by the second half of the season. Now, it's always going to be very risky. We know they're not creating a lot of passing yardage. Anytime that you have that, there's an extremely low floor, and the low floor is not what you want from a high-scoring position like quarterback. But he does throw for 208 here, averages just under 10 yards per attempt. He rushes for the 47 yards. I mean, this could have been a day where he had 100 rushing yards on top of it. David Montgomery gets very involved in the passing game, goes four for 62. I think that the biggest frustration here probably from a fantasy perspective is that Herbert only gets the four carries. He's completely and totally shut down. 
I don't know if there is any kind of injury element that came up during this game, but he has just been so good over the last year and a half. Anytime he's been able to get an extended look, to have him marginalized so quickly again, even with Montgomery looking good, Montgomery scores the touchdown. One of the reasons that we do get some Justin Fields passing in this game is that when your backs go 16 carries for 31 yards, they're going to have to go to plan B. That's not always going to happen, but I think some encouraging news here and Colin, maybe the biggest development, they now get Nikhil Harry back. You, you actually trim me off there, Sean. I was about to say, like, do they, what about Velas Jones getting in the end zone? I thought that might've been the, the talking point. Harry, there's still, there's still some, you know, wax left in that candle to keep it lit. Is there? Do you even need wax for the candle? We, I don't uh, know. I think it's, it needs to be in a, we're just burning it down with the... an imaginary candle. It's a never-ending one, a perpetual candle lit for Nikhil Harry. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Sean, somebody who we had a candle lit for coming out of college, we had a lot of hope for. He actually had kind of a breakout performance this past week. That was in the Titans-Commanders game. We get Jahan Dodson missing this one. So that means that we get Danami Brown coming in and getting two catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns. Was a case where he's on the field on 37% of dropback, so he is not at the top end of this rotation. We still have Terry McClure and we have Curtis Samuel in there. But the other side of the game, the big talking point, obviously, Derrick Henry, 102 yards and a touchdown for him. Continues to get some targets, get some receptions, two for 30 in the air, getting those green zone touches as well this week. What are some of your takeaways from this? I'm guessing that Dotson is one of those kind of players who if you have them in a best ball league we're going to have some weeks where we get those deep shots we get some points but i don't think there's going to be a sustainable way to start him particularly then when dotson comes back in but it was nice to see him have that big day we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And this Washington Commanders team could be so fun if they just committed to their dynamic players. We had Deami Brown on the team that finished second in the FFPC Best Ball Tournament last year. And 
with DJ Moore playing so poorly, not something that is any news to uh, DJ Moore managers, and with Elijah Moore out, there were some moments in Week 17 where it looked like perhaps De'Ami Brown could get in there and be the guy who actually scored the points, and then you're scanning the field for him in the second half. You don't see him out there. Like, well, I mean, the commanders obviously don't want to win. So I don't think that there is anything there. That's not a provocative take. And yet, if you have a deep dynasty roster, and for whatever reason he is not rostered by anybody, obviously you should pick him up. I do think that he's an interesting player. And these things can be overstated, but with the commanders finally kind of coming out and saying, look, Carson Wentz is just as terrible as everybody told us he was. The thing that we need to be competitive in the NFC East is quarterback play. And they have Sam Howell there and Sam Howell has something of a track record with De'Ami Brown. I mean, one of the things, and I don't know if this is, uh, this doesn't just seem like a real report to me, but somehow I ran across, you know, Googling, I'm on Ross St. Brown, I'm sure. Was this note that when they played the commanders that he's over there, like looking for Brown on the sideline. Oh, he did. There is a video after that game. He did like he is recorded and he was looking for, for Dynami Brown on the far sideline. We'll turn on the TV Sunday. You saw him two long touchdowns. That's what they drafted him to do. That's what he could do. If he were out there playing Amon Ra is too good to be. I mean, it's probably just tongue in cheek and having some fun with it, but it's sort of the same thing as act like you've been there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're Amon Ross St. Brown and, and, and moving toward being one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL, who cares where you were drafted? Don't, you don't need to be bringing that up for people. He obviously has a big week this week, Dynami Brown. When we're talking about all these Browns, we have to make sure we're pointing out the right one. But it is a case that I'm sure when Amon Ross St. Brown talked after that big game, being like I was looking on the sideline for Dynami Brown, there's a lot of people out there who probably aren't as into the team depth charts as we are sean and they're wondering who is he talking about so like you know usually he's given a lot of free publicity there to dynamic like why are you skinny for a non-NFL player i mean <laughs> brown is watching the games this weekend and it's like i was looking for amon ra where where is he where is he he didn't show up on red zone this week sean uh anyway that's for sure uh derrick henry on the other side i think derrick henry is back to 100 percent derrick henry and um, probably not much to add other than derrick henry's doing derrick henry things well, when he goes for 102 yards and two touchdowns, and then you go back and watch the game and the shortcuts, you are expecting him to do something. Mostly, he was running in place in this one, this a lot of dream sequence for him, swarmed under. Obviously, Washington has him as the defensive key, especially with Traylon Burks now out. We don't get much in the way of a passing game from the Titans. I mean, this is a game that they should lose. Ryan Tannehill throws only 25 passes. He's ineffective with the passes he does throw. He does get the touchdown off here. But when you stop Ryan Tannehill, when you stop Derrick Henry, you have to win the game. The Washington offense lets their defense down on this occasion. Now, we do get a long pass reception from Nick Westbrook-Akine. That was a nice play there. Derrick Henry, as you mentioned, his two receptions for 30 yards, much more dynamic than the rushes where he averaged less than four yards per carry. I mean, that's going to happen to you sometimes. When you're a big back and the defense is keying on you from a fantasy perspective, the thing that you want to see here and the thing you're excited about, 30 opportunities, two touchdowns, Derrick Henry looks to be back, but not every week is going to be against the Washington Commanders. Some of these games, there's going to be some actual impetus for your offense to... There'll be better offenses than the Washington Commanders? 
you would think there'd be better offenses than the Washington Commanders, but I guess I was, I'm saying that I'm thinking, well, maybe you need to just completely eliminate this take instantly because the Tennessee Titans play in the AFC South. I, when you, you go watch the Texans Jaguars and it feels like you're watching XFL, USFL, <laughs> non NFL league, the Titans are going to be in position to smash Derrick Henry into the line three times more than just in this game if there's if there's a division where it's possible that is the the division where you can uh, do that and then maybe in the out of division games there'll be some more challenges to be had speaking of other divisions though the Bengals and the ravens the last game we have to talk about this week two teams with high expectations heading into the season the ravens edge this one out 19 to 17 i think the place that most people listen to the show sean here in this game where they're going to start is the situation around t higgins yeah it's unfortunate to have a player who is active and yet not healthy we get that as well with darren waller it, I, I go back and forth in this because a lot of people will tell you that if one of your stars is active you have to play them one of the things that we do is build these benches that have two three four options on the bench and if you were in a close call between wide receiver four and wide receiver five as you fill out those flex positions and a player is pretty clearly injured now that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to go and play through it because i mean these nfl athletes are comfortable playing through a level of pain in many cases certainly not all in many cases that you know, normal people who don't have to go through that kind of work every day. Now, normal people have to go through things that are much harder than NFL players in many cases, but not that physical effort to get ready to play. I, you're going to see some big performances by injured players, but you're also going to see this kind of thing. When you have a limited number of starting lineup spots and you have a short season, every single one of these zeros is a real dagger. At least something to think about. We know that we can't trust the Cincinnati Bengals going forward. Big picture here, Colm. I was thinking about the most disappointing teams in 2022. We talked a little bit about the Broncos and the Raiders. The Broncos and how Russell Wilson has played, that has to be the biggest disappointment this year. But I think the second biggest has to be the Cincinnati Bengals squad. Their inability to develop this offense joe burrow has played extremely poorly throws 35 passes in this one after just 6.2 yards per attempt and he said well yeah he didn't have t higgins and you can argue that the way that this game unfolded makes another argument for t higgins as one of the best receivers in football maybe the best receiver on the Bengals, and yet i mean you still have jamar chase you still have tyler boyd this is yet another game where Tyler Boyd has a chance as the number two receiver. He has four targets, three catches, 32 yards. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Hayden Hurst ends up leading the Bengals with 53 yards and a touchdown. The coaching staff here has really been apocalyptically bad. And it's just such a, a strange development after what they did to close out last season when they go on that run in the playoffs. You would have expected the Bengals to be here for a decade they have too much talent to not turn this around to an extent, but I also think that the ceiling is much lower now because we're starting to question the arm strength and decision-making of Joe Burrow. 
Obviously, Joe Mixon is a replacement level running back. Tyler Boyd looks like a washed up possession receiver that is not helpful. Jamar Chase not able to get open deep. This is a, another game where he has seven catches, but just for 50 yards. And the coaching staff has been poor. You put all of those things together, and this is probably the most discouraging team for me when you think back to what your hopes and expectations were at the beginning of the season. We dealt with this a little bit last year with the Bengals, and then they turn it around. I do think it's a bigger problem the second time through. I think that when you've been where they are and then now to be back here, it's something that the, the Los Angeles Rams had to deal with a little bit after they lose their Super Bowl. One of the things that they end up doing to fix that is to get rid of Jared Goff and go to Matthew Stafford. I mean, the Bengals have Joe Burrow. That that part of the equation is not going to be an avenue that they have. The coaching staff just has to make some real improvements on their side. And that can be tough because we all know that from a human perspective, you tend to look at like where are these things that you know, are under my control and I have to deal with and I have to fix. You have to admit mistake. You know, you have to admit that we got something wrong by what we have done so far this season. And that can be very hard for people to own up to. I do think that it can't be understated the amount of time that they have missed T Higgins in the offense throughout those opening five weeks, whether it's games that he's got knocked out with a concussion or he's been under evaluation for injury or he kind of misses this whole game, even though he is active. I do think that gives teams an opportunity to kind of double coverage Jamar Chase on, on all the plays. And as much as we love Tyler Boyd, he isn't T Higgins in terms of the threat that he can provide against those defenses. The other part is, and I touched on this on a recent show, that you know the, the run game and the pass game just doesn't marry up at all in terms of what they're trying to do. I, I'm seeing similar issues with the Packers as well as what I'm seeing here with Cincinnati, but we would have a lot of higher expectations in the pass game in Cincinnati than we had on Green Bay coming into the season. But even some of the clips circulating on social media, we joked recently about the Panthers and Matt Rule and the play calling where, depending on where Christian McCaffrey was lined up in the backfield, that it was a pass or a run and teams were able to, to call on that. But there's some clips circulating on social media where the same situation in this game here with Joe Mixon and, and making it very obvious towards what the tendencies are. So things like that just shouldn't be happening in the, in the NFL at this level, particularly on an offense that we have such high hopes for the Bengals are now two and three they are very unlucky in those games that they've lost in terms of the scores they've lost each game with a last second field goal to close things out they lost to the Steelers by three points they lose to the Cowboys by three points and they lose this one by two points to the Ravens with Justin Tucker who kind of does not miss field goals scoring a field goal to finish things off here we have Mark Andrews with a big day there as well with eight for 89 and one on 10 targets Devin Duvernay continues to to get use in this offense we didn't have Rashad Bateman but he goes five for 54 on seven so particularly people who have him in best ball leagues and don't have to decide where to start him he's had a, a hot start to the season from that perspective Sean any other notes on this game outside of what I've touched on or is it a case that we have concerns about the the Bengals I'm hoping that maybe in the long term not having Higgins out there for a lot of snaps this week is going to be beneficial if he can be healthy moving forward and, and get him back to 100% because I think we'll see this offense improve if that does happen. Yeah, and as you point out, the games the Bengals are losing are close games to good teams. The the one other note, though, I would say that is a problem with the Bengals and how they have been you know, winning them games so far this season. They put up 20 against Pittsburgh. They put up 17 against Dallas. They put up 27 against the Jets, 27 against the Dolphins, where they do miss 
two for the majority of that particular game and then they put up 17 here so they aren't really in a situation where they can say oh well we're putting up enough offense that we should be winning those games they're they're kind of always letting teams hang around and in this particular game where the opposing team doesn't have Rashad Bateman and you know that Mark Andrews is going to be the guy he goes 889 and one on his 10 targets you mentioned Duvernay he has seven but no other Baltimore player has more than two when you know what is coming you fail to stop it there's no serious threat of the running game because J.K. Dobbins is mostly not playing I don't know if there's anything kind of going on behind the scenes here if he tweaked something on any of these plays he was explosive right eight carries 44 yards he averages his five and a half i mean he's on his way to being in that six yards per carry range that dobbins and only a handful of other players can really truly threaten and yet they go to Kenyon drake they have mike davis out there for a lot of the actually important plays at the end of the game i mean this is not something they want in a blowout or a situation when they're down there inside the 20s late that you're thinking, oh, well, I'll just bring Mike Davis and it doesn't matter. I mean, those were those were key plays. Duvernay himself gets three carries. So I, I think that a pretty big disappointment for J.K. Dobbins fans. Again, another element here where the Bengals had it all out in front of them and did not come through. Yeah, and to finish it off here, Sean, we have a pretty fun topic, uh, partly because I continue to be baffled. I mentioned this on the recap show with Taysom Allen, what he's able to do. A huge game for him this week. My question for you is going to be, is Taysom Hill a tight end? And then secondly, should he have a tight end designation in fantasy football? So I went back today, went through his career numbers, played 69 games in his career. Obviously, there'll be some of those at the start where he's you know on special teams active and things like that where he's not really involved. But so far in his career he has 69 games he has 35 receptions for 390 yards but he does have seven receiving touchdowns in that time rushing wise 241 attempts 1400 yards can't really complain too much about what he's doing there he has 21 rushing tds and then passing he has 2047 passing yards he has nine passing touchdowns eight passing interceptions so he's definitely not a quarterback in my opinion <laughs> i don't think he is tight end I have a strong inclination that he should be a running back. What is your thoughts on, I think Taysom Hill has been like, as a career from where he's come from, coming into the NFL, I think what he's done has been like a phenomenal story, but it just continues to baffle me. And the feeling then when you see the the lineups in some of the leagues where Taysom Hill has this day at the weekend where he is in there as a tight end. I love it. I love it. And I don't have exposure to Taysom Hill, but to have a one of these players every once in a while who's a little bit of a cheat code and in a situation where you're going to have to spend something. Now, I mean, if it's a 16th, 17th, 18th round pick, you can say I'll spend that pretty freely. And yet, I wasn't I wasn't willing to spend an 18th round pick in basketball on him. Well, you only have the 18 slots, right? Yeah. And so you don't want to burn him. He comes into the season not the backup QB, not the starting tight end. I mean, maybe not the t- in a, the top two tight end. So you know that there's going to be a tricky path to volume, and yet this is the scenario the people were drafting Hill were gambling on, and a couple of times this year it's paid off. I, I was a little bit surprised. Again, I wasn't bidding high on Hill after week one, but I was surprised that more people weren't because in week one you saw how it could work out. You know how thin tight end is 
But then you have three weeks where he does more or less nothing, and everybody who's like, you know, just have to be patient. These are fluky games. Don't chase the points. That looks like the right path to play. And now we're kind of back in this, you know, do you or don't you kind of situation, especially in shallow and medium leagues where he's still there. I, one of the great frustrations of last week, and it's more just a minor humorous note because these things happen. But late in the week when it became obvious that he who shall not be named was going to be inactive, Ben and I needed to pick up a tight end. So for the Sunday morning waiver run, put in for Taysom Hill, but just didn't bid high enough. And so then you end up getting a tight end who scores zero as opposed to Hill, who goes out and puts this epic game up. You're watching and you're thinking, well, should have bid more. But yeah, I mean, to have him out there with the tight end designation is fun. Drafters had a shot at him. I mean, he's obviously not a tight end, but He's a, a cool player. He should be a piece of the Saints offense. I think that some of these things add some value. We see so many teams on Sunday running the ball when it makes no sense, running the ball in these very vanilla plays. Put somebody out there who actually brings this electricity. You say he's not a quarterback. He throws a touchdown pass, a very nice play. I, I mean, it probably required Jameis Winston being hurt in the running game in terms of guys outside of Alvin Kamara. But one of the interesting things in this game is I think that if you have Alvin Kamara, maybe you're a little bit frustrated because you know you don't get all of those scores that that Hill gets, right? And yet at the same time, this is a game where they did use Kamara more effectively. Kamara's biggest issue really this season has been the rib injury and being healthy. He had the performance, I believe, in week three where he has the seven targets, but Jameis Winston is throwing him. He's not (laughs) – that's not his strength, we'll say. So they're more or less garbage targets in this game with Andy Dalton. And I think that if Dalton ended up being the quarterback, it would be great for Kamara. He catches all six of the targets, goes for 91 receiving yards, still has 23 carries. Yeah, you lose these three rushing touchdowns to Taysom Hill, but again, a lot of them come from distance. Kamara gets 29 opportunities coming off of that injury. As a fantasy manager, you can't ask for more than 29 touches, and you probably don't even want that many. You probably prefer for him to go in that 21-22 range and have them be high-value touches. Some interesting things going on here. I mean, Winston probably is going to come back and torpedo this offense, but from a one-week perspective, a lot of cool things for the Saints. This Saints-Seahawks game was arguably the best game of the weekend. Yeah, anytime you have the the Seahawks and Geno Smith playing, you're going to get you know good attack and high scoring football. So that is the key game to watch out for each and every week. Sean, on Taysom Hill, some of the questions I've got over the last 24 hours on Twitter have been around you know teams who have one of the examples I think was they had Cole Komet as an option uh, and they had Isaiah Likely, so they didn't have a huge amount of other options on that roster and. Then you're into a situation now where we have buys, so people are looking. And, and Taysom Hill was somebody who, after week one, there was a lot of money spent on on waivers. Then, because of how things had played out, he got caught on a lot of teams ahead of last week. Like you mentioned, there was a chance to get him on in that league. If somebody is struggling with their tight ends and Taysom Hill is available with us being heading into bye weeks, with us also now kind of being through a point where there's going to be less opportunities to acquire players on waivers, would he be somebody that you would say to not attack? I, I would be off the approach that like if you can get him for a reasonable price, do it. But anything over, I don't know, 15 to 20% of a budget, I think is, is something that I wouldn't be chasing. 
we did say after week one that was gonna be his best game of the season though and then he has he does this in week five so we're wrong wrong in week one what is your approach here for people listening and if they're looking to add that tight end i'm a bigger fan of chasing the points than a lot of analysts are because efficiency and big plays while if a player has no track record usually those go away we joked about deami brown at the beginning of the show i do think that there is a strong argument for him out there in four wide receiver sets and make the defense really account for all of those guys let sam howell lead a almost college style offense and the washington commanders could be fun maybe ron Rivera doesn't get fired you know do something creative and aggressive try and keep your job but i mean in all likelihood brown is going to fade back into the ether I mean, Taysom Hill has been a good player for a long time. It's mostly a matter of how do the Saints want to move going forward. And I think that once you have a game like this where it very clearly worked and it puts stress on defenses in ways they're going to have a hard time accounting for, and when you have Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton as your quarterbacks, I I think it makes a lot of sense to go out there, especially if you're in a first-come, first-serve system to where you actually can't run out of waiver moves. Maybe you run out of the situation where you can outbid people but if you need to score some points at tight end don't just sit there for a month and continue to put up one two zero that type of thing you know go after it have a a gutsy move to try and win your league they're not all going to work and you have to be okay making some mistakes or making some moves that don't pan out you can't sit back and say everything that i do is going to work or else i think that i'm not a good fantasy player I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to have the mistakes in there. My experience, and that's mostly what I can speak to from a waiver's perspective, is that the more aggressive that you are, the more often that you run out of money early and can't make moves late, but also that you have league-changing and league-winning acquisitions. And then you do win your league. And that's the goal. The goal isn't to finish in the middle. The goal is to win when you originally started that out, I thought you were going to ask if if the Bears and the Ravens need to, you know, hand off to likely needed to have Cole come out, out there throwing touchdown passes. That wasn't the that wasn't the direction. No, but anything we can get to get Cole come out some more fantasy points. Uh, and this week wasn't wasn't his worst week of the season, but we would take that if we can get some those Russian get those Russian yards in there. We'll see though. We'll see. But Taysom Hill, what a week! I just I'm I'm mesmerized by what he's. What he's been able to achieve and, and have another massive massive week and i'm sure anyone who has alvin kamara like you mentioned on the roster sean probably aren't probably feeling as positive as as we are they probably feel more like our conversation earlier with with justin jefferson losing out on those potential touchdowns to dalvin cook but that is going to take us to the end of today's show a pretty fun topic i i thought to finish things off on if you're signed up for rotoviz nfl pass over at rotoviz.com you can use the code RVRADIO2022 at checkout to save yourself 10% while signing up. A lot of the information we talked about early in today's show is in Sean's recap piece that went up on Monday. So if you're checking that out or you want to check it out, you can give yourself a 10% discount with that code. Once again, it is RVRADIO2022. Sean, that is going to bring us to the end of our second show this week. We will be back with our Friday show. You'll also have your shows with Ben on Stealing Banana. So lots of content coming your way this week again for rotoviz ot stealing bananas and the rotoviz radio podcast network in general check out all the great shows that we have up including with dave 
Cabin and Curtis Patrick with the flagship show with so many other great pieces of content to keep you going and of course check out all the great team up on rotaviz.com with articles throughout the week but until we are back with that show have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.